obviously inspired by her electronic wizardry and took the more dance-orientated deal touch up self-punch voice in the band would never sit well with the erotic smith. Sadly her absence on Twitter itself just all too painfully felt. Alrighty, well, are we all good to go? We got anything, any uh, last words before we jump in? No, but I am glad that you explained the butt stabbing thing. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome to the Fallout Podcast. I think it is episode 37, aka Special 4, aka Era 1989 to 1992 Era. Uh, joined, as always, by Monsieur Pippington B. Hard, holding babies who now bring their grandchildren. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I am stunned. I am stunned by that. And Lord Sage Temple, not here, not turned up. Cross from shore to shore, stand up Manhattan, stand up beautiful hills of Brooklyn. Over there, the Pemberton Walker, Alistair, spiral curl per medium, her feisty old woman living in Miami who loves to eat cheesecake. Howdy. Howdy doodly doodly. Uh, Tim oh. 3, Lachiate Ogni Speranza Vorcientre. That's it, you tuned him in though. And uh, myself, Tree Beards, the host. I can make your dog sick and feel miserable. And so we've done three of these so far when we now, here's the story so far, lads. Four firm friends form a band after seeing Sex Pistol pop stars make an album called Witch Trials, Brammer, Burns, and Baines. They're gone. Dragnet, Riley, Scanlon, Hanley, Grotesque, Hex, Bloody Indie Superstardom, Bricks, Wonderful and Frightening, Perverted by Languages, Simon Rogers, Funky Cy Wollstonecraft, This Nation's Saving Grace, Ben Sinister, Ballet, Marsha Schofield, Friends, and now the Dave Bush era. So, first up, we have Seminal Live, which is LP question mark number 11. We'll get to that in a bit from 1989. Beggar's Banquet, post-punk is what Wikipedia calls it. I was going to play a selection of tracks from the album. Street is the island, put butter on plague style, speak up with revolutions in my back and I later. tree ring so that what you are after. So there you go, Seminole Live. Marquis e. Smith, Brick Smith, Craig Scanlon, Steve Hanley, Simon Wollstonecroft, Marsha Schofield. Seminole Live. We're looking forward to this episode, Brad. We're looking Good. forward to it. There's lots to get into. Lots and lots of to get into. <laughs> lots of... Uh, lots of stuff. Yeah. We don't need Stuck to pad this episode out. It's a game of two halves, this album, isn't it? You've got the first half, which is new studio stuff, and the second half, which is... I did listen to some of the additional live stuff, which I think was on, like, the cassette version of this. And the live bit is great. It's a really good showcase of 
how solid they were as a live act at this period in time. The songs are all the ones that we know and love. Uh, a couple of standout things. The Bill Grundy thing, I guess, needs a mention in yeah. terms of the introduction. The man who invented punk, possibly, on Cruises Creek there. So there's some really good versions of stuff like Pay Your Rights. On the expanded one, Hit the North, I, I did think that was a really good version of it. Stuff like Two by Four really stands up. The studio stuff, not so much. Not so much, really. The high point for me has to be how, which I think we talked about a few weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah. Which is is a, is a brilliant, absolutely brilliant tune. The rest of the stuff is, it, it does kind of feel like it's been scraped from the bottom of the barrel for me. There being said that sounds like something that wasn't good enough to get onto the last album. Pinball Machine, they're kind of going into dangerous territory for my particular taste. It's a weird one. Do my best here to avoid the phrase contractually obligated. Yeah, partly studio, partly live. Steve, who does the Falling Fives, doesn't even count it in his list of studio albums. He's got it in the live album. He doesn't count in the 525 number then? No, I think he counts them all. 2006 sued magazine fanzine keyboardist Marsha Schofield called Seminole Live the worst piece of shit I have ever worked on. Talk about exhausted note of ideas. And, and yeah, how and, and a couple of others sound like they could have gone on Friends, which is the, the one just before, which in itself was a bit of a ragtag album. It's got some charms and as a live album, yeah, it's decent and maybe as an EP it might have been okay with Deadbeat Descended and How uh, maybe as a single but stretching it as an album so you get out of your contract with Beggar's Banquet it, it was the last one that had bricks on it as well it was obviously not a high point in terms of their artistic if you compare it to something like Hex or This Nation Saving Grace or even Friends Experiment from the year before <laughs> it feels to me a little bit like you remember when the anthology of the Beatles came out and they were kind of scraping around the studio trying to find stuff feels a bit like that in terms of its quality it's really up and down yeah and the fact that they couldn't even scrape together a full album they just did half they just did the five or six songs and then put in live it Alistair what do you reckon to uh, this one I listened to it again this week uh, I think I actually preferred it to when I, I've listened to it previously uh, it might be because I was uh, varnishing the floor and getting massively high off the fumes but I, I quite enjoyed it well I noticed it's produced co-produced by Smith and it sounds like, like really like the live stuff sounds quite polished I'm wondering if uh, if it's not exactly as live as they make out and the shitloads of overdubs done in the studio to kind of like iron out any uh, little defects that might have been there because it was two gigs that they recorded at the live parts one of them was in Edinburgh I can't remember where the other one was it might have been Stockport or yeah. something like that yeah, mm, yeah yeah knowing going to be playing and it's going to be recorded and it's going to be Smith that's doing the production you'd be shitting yourself you know just thinking right if I make one single mistake that is going in the fucking black book uh, you know I will never be forgiven for that so yeah, I, can, I can imagine themselves crapping themselves because he's definitely not going to be awfully diplomatic or forgiving but I think that the highlight on the LP for me is the, the, the live version of Pay Your Rates which uh, was really good I thought Marsha did quite well with, with the keys on there because uh, she's brought something new into it and it was you know like suitably moronic felt wet with, with the song is it the only one that you've got Marsha and Bricks on it like the, the two female they were on Friends and, and Curious Orange because they were mates I think Bricks bought Marsha uh, Schofield in because she knew her from uh, from back in the day so she they did a couple where they were both on and then Marsha Schofield sticks around for another album she's on for Extricate and then she's out the door and she doesn't return unlike Bricks spoiler mm. and comes back yeah, seven but, uh, years later I would recommend listening to it whilst in close proximity to 
some very uh, strong solvents. You know, it definitely helped my experience. Right. Getting the bushes with a bag of Evo stick and a, and a record player. Yeah. It's a nice cover. Yeah. Got this nice painted sun thing going on and then a few cool pictures of them live on the other side. There's a nice picture of Craig and I think Marsha having a good laugh there at the top there and uh, and then the boys looking moody down there at the bottom. Who were the uh, aristocrats who were on the cover? You I don't know. Talking? They were just they just joined the band for a couple of shows. Who Dave knows? Bush. That's Dave Bush and his mate Tom Bush. Here's what Ezra says. He says, Selling Alive, Selling Alive is an excellent album. Friends becomes a You Do Right star bass chem sex grind and the version of pay your rates is chewing on its own plimsolls however I take eight hours of America therein rendition of NWRA on a loop over it but who wouldn't so he just completely ignores the studio stuff and treats it like a live album which is might be the wise way to go what does Tim 3 think of this album oh, so when he got back to about seven alive he said a good EP bad covers <laughs> and some decent live material chucked in not essential stuff other than how and Squid Law and a blistering late pay or rights. Okay, contract filler. Aye. Uh, I think he's being a little generous there, isn't he? You know, he has his own uh, peccadillos. Yeah. I'm going to throw a couple of unreasonable reviews off the internet at you and see uh, what you think about this. So, Phil, how about this from Furious.com? A disappointment and one of the key low points in the history of the band's official recording. The new stuff was relatively good with obligatory covers. Side one, fall gems of great magnificent. Side two is let down by having boring live versions that sound as if they were recorded in a sock. Essential. <laughs> So what do you make of that? That was from Henry Rawlingson on the website Amazon. <coughs> I'm not quite sure how the studio stuff picks the live stuff. I think you'd have to have a few fingers in your ears to kind of uh, go to that conclusion. But, you know, I think you can quite happily do without this, really. There's, there's, I think as what Ezra's getting at is that there's much better live stuff in terms of perhaps what people come to the fall for, because we don't really come to the fall for that super clean, cut, tight sort of sound. I would have thought. I think most people come to it for that raw, raggedy, dangerous kind of vibe that they get going a lot in a lot of the live stuff that we've already listened to in the podcast. So, whilst I think it's the better part of the stuff on this particular album, I'm not. I'm not convinced it's the best live stuff, and so I wouldn't class this as essential. If you're a fall fan on a budget, I think there's. I think there's other albums I'm spending my money on. If you think there's a few, there's just a few live ones out there at this point. Um, I'm worse than this as well. We'll have to do a couple of episodes on the trolling through the live ones and see. Um, you mentioned the Earth film. I think it was one of those that was like a mid-price LP. You know, when it was issued, you you know, you'd be looking through the, the shelves in the record shop. For, for any fall fan on a budget, it would have been a, a go-to, I think. Pay no more than 49 pence for this record. Alice, do you, do you agree with this view? Burrito Brother, the fall's best. Seminal Live appears to be the forgotten gem in their extensive catalogue. May well be the best introduction to the fall imaginable um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's definitely been on uh, on the solvents yeah <laughs> <laughs> think, but think of it this way if you've never heard anything else and you got pay your rates you got that nice version of 2 by 4 and then you got how you might you might think there's something here I did the thought experiment last week where I thought what if The Fall had only ever recorded one song and it was Scenario what would we have made of it 
it's the same thing. What if you just had this one album? Could could you make a go of it? Mm, <laughs> I think it's as we said before, like it's, it's not part of America they're in. That had some like really good sounds on it. Like the versions of Old Lover, the like the guitar sound on that was like pretty eerie. It lacks a little something. So I disagree with the review. It's it's got its place and I enjoyed listening to it, but there's better live stuff by the fall, I think. Well, I want to ask you to tackle a real question there though. Can he imagine a better introduction to the fall? <laughs> I cannot even imagine <laughs> I considered giving him a hex induction hour on this nation's saving grace on deluxe gatefold vinyl. Then I went with a thrice dubbed cassette of Seven Alive, smeared in my own fecal matter. Here's your introduction. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to move on and I'm going to play an interview. This is listed as an, an awkward encounter with Che, a German TV studio interview in which Smith doesn't seem to be getting along with the guy who's interviewing. Last spring we started. Yeah, la last time I saw you. You actually performed live on the stage with the ballet. We only saw one dancer tonight, but it was a whole crew, right? Yeah. What's the matter with you? Also, the Arbeit fing letztes Jahr eine ganze Balletttruppe. The club, the dance group split or something in Tobi. What? What's the group, the dance group, the ballet group? Yeah, you'll uh, have to ask the dance group. You'll have to ask the, the dance group about that. All right. The Berlin, see you Other projects of the fall. No, we did a tour um, before Christmas with, with this uh, one dancer. We find that's better. Ellen uh, van Schoenberg. And how did the people react on the thing with the ballet when you did that? You did it in Amsterdam, I think. It's of no importance to me uh, how they react to me. Not at all? No. no. Okay. As I says, Feel free to add your comments on that's that. The, it's, it's a jacket, that, though, isn't it? I think I have seen that one before. It's because the, they take ages getting onto the stage, don't they? And the, the poor fella, poor fella, I don't know, I don't know anything about him. He might be an absolute rascal for all I know. But uh, he's left sort of talking to this crowd as they wait on live TV for the fall to rock up and they're about 20 minutes late <laughs> getting up on stage. We're a bit of a sullen band, Ed, to quote the Doors and, and their sort of rock and roll attitude. It was... It's kind of funny in retrospect. That jacket, what's going on? He's actually got half a car welded to his jacket. I mean, it's 1989, the dude's going free. A tall, muscular German guy with bleached blonde hair and Smith is like considerably shorter than him, right in his face. And he keeps taking a step towards him every time he asks a question. And then he says, What do people think of the ballet? It's to the microphone. Exactly. It's of no concern to me what people thought of that ballet. And this dude can't believe it. He can't be like, What? How can you not care? I don't care, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it did come across that well, Mr. Smith well, it wasn't overly keen on the idea of doing the interview. If that stood out a mile, it reminded me a little bit of um, Faulty Towers, the episode with the Germans, where he, he first sort of like Basil Faulty comes out of hospital and he first meets the Germans and they're trying to order a taxi, talking slowly and things like that to him. Bit of a grouchy interview. I believe in that episode he was trying to avoid communicating something about some form of conflict. The, the outdoor meeting. No, we already have some meat. <laughs> we have meat in the building. Extricate. 1990 on Fontana LP12 maybe post punk Manchester that's what Wikipedia says. You got Martin Man Smith, Martin Brammer, Craig Scanlon, Steve Hanley, Marsha Schofield, and Funky Simon Wollstonecroft. There also Kenny Brady pops up on fiddle. Craig Leon on the production again, and Cole Cutter in the mix this time. 
Smith, Brammer, Scanlon, Hanley, Schofield and Wollstonecroft. Even some fliddle, fliddle and flute and oboe and the fella from Jesus Jones dropping by for one song. Alistair, what do you make of Extricate 1990? I quite like Extricate 1990. It was the year of Manchester, as mentioned previously, which, you know, it was a lot of hype. Not a great deal came out of the, the Manchester thing that, that stood the test of time. Even, you know, like the, the stuff by Happy Mondays, uh, it was all the, the stuff that was pre-Manchester that, that was the, the, the better Mondays stuff and they just turned to shite like once they'd been exposed to too much money and uh, too many chemicals but yeah I, I think it's pretty good sort of like indie LP for, for the, the time you got Sing Harpy starting it off uh, which is basically Little Doll by the Stooges followed by Anne Frank and So's My Wife Billy's Dead which is like you know for me one of my favourite Schofield moments Mr Smith sounding very sincere on the Blank Monk theme would you say that's a cover or would you because he's changed the lyrics and there's stuff in there that's uh, not in the original Monks there's no violin the violin in it pretty good like you know a popcorn double feature another cover the lyrics in that you know he's going about funny farm the whole like the world's a funny farm which uh, not dead PC probably wouldn't have been at the time and listening to WFMU this week played coming to take me away commenting on the references to funny farms there and it, it was saying at the time it was it was kind of like criticised for the, the you know the, the attitude that they were taking about uh, mental illness but it still got to number three in the US despite all that telephone thing bloody great in it they're just the best sound on that and the, the, the hard beats great at volume Hillary yeah nice funny laid back groove B-52's kind of vibe to it Chicago now which is quite soundtracky Littlest Rebel again B-52's finishing off with uh, Andering because I don't do any of these CD things you know the bonuses when they got the vinyl but yeah bit of a country and western vibe to that one bit bored Italy. I think it only goes downhill after this one doesn't it for the oh, next we'll few years we'll see won't we we'll see won't we we've only covered a couple of these so far on the the pod got a lot of love this week so basically Bricks divorce Smith she, she did one I think that kind of signalled him maybe in some way that returned to a bit more of a harder kind of guitar sound Martin Brammer came back out of nowhere after 10 years away he'd been doing his Blue Orchid thing and he hadn't been on board since Witch Trials so he came back uh, yeah he'd collaborated with Cold Cut around that era and uh, Wikipedia say Brammer's distinctly raw even rockabilly sound rockabilly to some of these songs 
make a big change. During the accompanying tour of the album, though, he sacked Rama and Marsha Schofield from the group. So uh, we do not get to hear what Extra Kit 2 might have sounded like. Everyone thought Billy's Dead should have been a single and would have been big, but Smith refused to release it as such, and probably wise. So what do you reckon? It's a very different sounding album, but it, in some ways it's a bit of a return to stuff that they know very well. Sing Happy is the intro- introductory song, so it's quite an interesting one because it has got, really reminds me of The Doors. It's It's got this dark subject matter about it, this mythical kind of almost witchy undercurrent to all the lyrics in it, and it's got this slurred kind of serious, um, dark, bluesy almost tone to it. The whole album is, is like you said, it's a lot more stripped back. It's a lot more minimal, a bit more wiry. I think it feels a bit more serious, the whole tone of it and where the songs are coming from. I think if there was emotional havoc going on in the background with things like divorces and stuff like that, it's it's perhaps um, no greater surprise that perhaps Smithy would go back to the stuff that he knows how to do well and that he would want it to be a bit of a showcase of form, I guess. I think the other thing that's really interesting with it is is telephone thing, like um, Al was pointing out, which really, really sets out. And so it's a bit like the double-faced God Janus, isn't it? In some ways, it's looking back to territory they know very well and, and can do almost without thinking. And really looking forward, telephone thing, there's loads of hints in that about Monsoon and Felton, the dancey kind of stuff that would dominate so much of that future sound and future exploration. The electronica, the messing with Smithy's voice with studio tools and stuff like that. It's all in there. There's all hints about it, isn't it? And Cole Cutter were the first how well Smithy could turn himself to to that very different form. Although in some ways very similar, it's from a technical point of view, it's very different, isn't it? It's all different set of skills. Can I ask what you think of the production on it? Because I was less than complimentary about the, the, the snow sound the other week. And I hope you sent off that letter, Brendan, that you were threatening to. No reply uh, yet. So what were your thoughts on the on the on the production on the LP? I think it suits the songs much better than some of the other albums that we're going to be talking about. I think some of it's because they are returning to stuff that they know how to do well. It's a band that's played together whilst Bram has returned. There's musicians, they know each other and they know what to do. And the, the types of beats and rhythms and stuff that they're getting together is stuff that they know very well. Although, having said that, I mean, Billy's Dead got that real, almost sentimental cabaret kind of sound to it. Again, I would see that as being within that Dawes spectrum of influences. So I think it suits the stuff really well. It's style of minimalist production on this whereas we're perhaps going into different territory with the next two albums well the thing about Craig Leon is that's his background right he produced the Ramones if he's looking for a, a guitar, punky guitar album this is his area he's not so adept at layers of synths which is what comes in when when the Dave Bush era really begins after this album and I do think probably Brammer and Smith had something to prove with it like you're saying Grammar had come back from 10 years away and and Smith, yeah. It might have been two divorces that year because he got married a second time and I don't think that lasted very long. So yeah, I think quite a year, isn't it? And and if you think about what went on before, so you had Seminole Live, before that you had Friends Experiment, before you had The Curious Orange. It hadn't been a proper straight-up studio album for four years since Ben Sinister. I think it's quite interesting the uh, 13th Peel session and compare it with Extra because it's like songs from it. So you got like on that Peel session, Chicago, 
I go now, this is why I was asking about the production because the snare sound on that is miles better. You've got Black Monk theme on there, which is a lot faster, really low keyboard mix it, and, and the, the violin sort of like going over the top. Whiz Bang, I don't know if you know that one or not, which sounds a bit like a, you know, the Riff of My Damo Suzuki with a, a bit of a palsy folk piss around kind of thing going on. That's, that's worth checking out if you've, uh, if you've not heard it for a bit. Whiz Bang, uh, they did it, it's called Butterfly for Brains on the album, I think, on, on a version of the album. So, yeah, nice song. They did a lot of songs in this era. There's a lot of stuff in, in those B-sides and the Manchester thing, it, it doesn't influence this album anywhere. I mean, the next two, definitely. The next four, probably. But this one, uh, the cold cut influence you can see and that more like hip hop influence dance stuff a little bit but uh, they haven't really gone down that that baggy route maybe they uh, decide to tread on the next record here's what Ezra said it's a midlife crisis affair and I wish I could take my midlife crisis down to the studio and get it polished to such a fine and crimped sheen he goes he goes on for a bit with this one I was quite astonished even after the lecky period and fringe and orange this is a hi-fi shop owner's heart on of an album with its deep yet well-defined low end crisp mids and sizzling highs it's great hearing mez rag on his ex while this phantom 80s hungover early 90s hi-fi shop drone tries to push his system on me he's running with a narrative here isn't he mez tries out to out sexy and out protestant work ethic her albeit not on the same track more is the shame mez has started to experiment with actual singing and the band are experimenting with being less exciting musicians and it kind of works for me. There's enough truly excellent music here to excuse the I'm Frank of it all. A blue and mordant lost drifting at the wheel and waiting for imminent lamppost impact drunk sleeping driving album for pissing on your own hangover. Wow. Purple Pro. He's writing his stream as consciousness as he's speaking. Yeah, basically he says it's a bit boring but he likes it and it's actually dead exciting as well <laughs> and he's got a question for Alistair actually he's throwing in a question here Al did our maladjusted yet August Alistair pick up these albums contemporaneously or did he feel the fall had sold out so did you get him in real time or did you decide this was the time you were jumping ship extra good real time the other ones delved into a little bit with the singles but I was like you know he's recording stuff off peel so you'd hear the songs they'll, they'll get in the festive 50 that kind of thing so I, I was aware of them but I didn't have a, the budget to stretch to that because I was getting more interested in uh, more exotic stuff at the time I think fair enough here we go Phil what do you think of this review from David Auerbach back in 1998 two years before the album came out 1998 fancy production sequences fiddles flutes Flutes and oboes, producer Craig Leon and Fontana, clean but not shiny, and whatever guitar power vanished with bricks and is replaced by a strange assortment of organic sounds, more than the fall ever had. The 90s produced some mediocre fall work. Part of the decline was not knowing what to do with all the possibilities Extricate left them with. They opened up the fall to widescreen arrangements and heavy production, which they wouldn't realise again until the infotainment scan. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 
Um, I think I can kind of see where he's coming from with that. Other than telephone thing, I don't really think they're exploring anything new on it. It's it's more about solidifying what they do well. There's cabaret stuff as that's been before it. There's that stripped down guitar sound that they've, that they've always had. From a vocals point of view, might might be seeing something a bit different. Perhaps a little bit more. I was going to say competency, but that's not the right word. But there's there's certainly a confidence about it. He feels like he can adopt this more croony, singy songy kind of voice about the tunes there's definite melodies going on there's definite melodic ideas that he's introducing it's not just about screaming and shouting and squealing down the microphone so maybe maybe that's a bit, uh, a bit more mature yeah I don't get the bit about this opened up lots of opportunities that then scuppered their next move it just seems like for some reason they took a left turn for the next album well it's difficult not to interpret some of that as being financially driven isn't it <laughs> sure yeah. exactly chasing that that hit. Could have had more budget being on Fontana as well, like you know that yeah. trying to ease the the suits. I think a lot of it uh, with the production and the, the polished sound. A bit like when Neil Young came up with that uh, LP on uh, Geffen, the electronic one. Um, he, he just signed, yeah, and then came, came up with it with that. And uh, yeah, Dave Geffen would best impress, like so. I think uh, yeah, it's a bit of trying to please the suits going on. Neil Young did that one that was a fifties one, like a rockabilly one, where he was dressed as a teddy boy on the front cover in a pink suit, and they actually sued him. So as Geffen sued him for making a record that was so out of his regular character that it was going to damage their sales. And they, they, they sued him for the style of music he made. It was an awful album, so it was a good choice. But, <laughs> but um, <laughs> to get sued for your own creative decisions, it does show that maybe this game isn't, isn't as fair as I thought it was. What about this, Al? This might be the blandest fall album ever. Mark sounds too relaxed and the band sounds like a karaoke machine it's slick and it's sparse and the kit sounds like a bad drum machine I have no idea how much of this is Wollstonecroft's work but shit if it's mostly him he needs to buy a new snare and get a different mic on the kick as for the violin sounds on the record Jesus what a crap idea that was Smith sounds bored as fuck by the end of this steer clear of this record it's bloody rubbish it's a funny review but I, mean, I don't really agree with, with some of it definitely you sit the nail on the head with the drum sound it's not the violin work quite well at times actually no, they've been the, the blandest one uh, if you're looking at it from the time what, what gone before it was kind of a little bit term but it was a one for a major label you kind of expect that but there's some good quality stuff on there that I think this is probably if you're looking at the period of the 1990s it's probably one of the stronger ones that they did yeah I mean this that review is written well after the fact but if you were writing at the time I could imagine that but not if you listen to the next three yeah so um, with regards to Extricate, he has said, nothing really exciting or interesting, bland sheen, smooth and unremarkable, not for me. It's interesting how we've interpreted it as being a strong album full of pop songs and then the, those fuckers on the internet and, and him think it's boring as fuck. What? I think though, there's, it's, there's an aesthetic though, isn't there? Because if you either like that cabaret type of thing that they get going, or you don't and all three of us have got a soft spot for like novelty records organ music cabaret singers all that aesthetic of music is is our jam isn't it we're, we're yeah. quite happy with and I think the thing is like I can say in the context of the album I'm listening and, and I'm Frank comes on and that flute comes in and I'm like yeah but when we listen to it in the playlist I'm like that fuck this shit but then on the album it, it, it's a nice dash of colour and there's a few of those the cold cut one does it there's some oboe and stuff on the Chicago now and then there's that the, the Bill is Dead's a nice 
last version. I, I think it's super strong. I think those fuckers don't know what the fuck they're talking about. So, I agree, Brendan. I think we're all right and they're all wrong. Yeah, let's fuck them up. Let's play a, an interview from Yes, he's talking about Cold Cut there because they got well known for doing a remix of Eric B and Rakim paid in full. That was one of the first big remixes. I've never really heard him talk about that kind of stuff before. He's talking about how, you know, he likes De La Soul and hip hop and stuff, but then he goes and sees it and the live stuff doesn't cut it. And it's true for some. I mean, there's some great lot, like the Roots and stuff like that who play... Um, live instrumentation on stage but I've seen a bunch of hip-hop shows that are very hit and miss it really just depends on whether the MCs are like bringing the energy I saw Ghostface Killer once he was amazing and then I saw the Wu-Tang Clan in one of their later eras they were not amazing you could they were phoning it in and it was just a dude on the decks but the Smith the, but the Fall have a bass player so they'll never have that issue <laughs> I forget what he was talking about and it's uh, I'm, I'm not as unfair with certainly live hip-hop as uh, probably both of you are I know you've been watching Public Enemy and stuff like that, haven't you so it's do you know what I just had a flashback actually to being uh, so when I first started getting to know Al and I was sat in your bedroom being introduced to some kind of grindcore music and you explaining to me the best thing about it was you could feel it in your chest but that idea of music having a physical reaction on your body was something that I, I'd never really given that much consideration to being in a piss poor indie band with you, Brendan, because it was it was all about the jingle jangle and the melodies, wasn't it? Whereas the type of stuff that Al was knocking out at the same time was all about, you know, peeling the skin off your face with the uh, the sheer vitriol and, and through the the, uh, the sonic kind of outburst of the band. That was a real education for me. And I, so I, I do get what he means about that bodily thing that you get with having a live bass player or having that dynamic at least in the music that's coming across and if you don't get that you're missing something from the live experience aren't you so as good as any MC can be or singer or whatever if you if you're into that type of thing and he is into that type of thing isn't he with his band the, the band have always done that they've always delivered a punch live that's always been a big part of the thing so it's uh, yeah, I, I totally get where he's coming that's it I mean Beastie Boys they, they had like a you know, rap band but you know they, they kind of like blended different styles they started off like being a hardcore punk band uh, so yeah they, they had the best they had that set up and live they were they were pretty good but they're not black rappers Mr. was talking about Saturday. yeah hardcore mm. uh, you know yeah. the score shall we have a listen to some of the the songs of shift work 1991 LP number 13 alternative rock slash post punk according to Wikipedia also on the Fontana label
sit in and stare On a beach somewhere I'll tell you something I wish I was an alien Obviously the most important thread to draw in with these four albums is Marsha Schofield's contribution and the deterioration in quality following her departure. The virtuoso keyboard intro of Hit the North, Live 88, and her masterful reworking of Pay Your Rates, Live 88. It becomes clear with the fall's next release Extricate that Bricks had been a muse for Smith but an unnecessary restraint on Schofield's magic touches with Free Rain the band again ascended to sublime heights. Obviously inspired by her electronic wizardry the band took the more dance-orientated telephone thing as a new direction to explore and the Schofield touch us felt prominently in her last album with the band, again her instinct to push boundaries and show how flute playing should be done on Rose. I think we can all agree that such a strong artistic voice in the band would never sit well with the neurotic Smith. Sadly her absence on Code Selfish is just all too painfully felt. So we have shift work from 1991, uh, Smith, Scanlon, Hanley, Wollstonecroft, down to a four-piece for the first time in the history of the band on an album. Alistair, what do you make of uh, shift work? Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, definitely prefer extricate to uh, shift work. Bland, I think. It's, it's some ideas on there that are just, uh, it, it just seems like they're going for like a radio-friendly thing. It's, it's the major label stuff, I think that the, the pressures of commercial success when you, uh, you've you sold your soul to the devil are quite intense like in uh, how much artistic control you have over uh, the, you know the final output I, I don't really know uh, there'll be a, a lot of yeah, decisions that are being made for you I can imagine uh, Smith not being overly happy with, with that kind of situation like, but they turn out something there's some okay moments on there but overall it's it's not something that, that really kind of like grabs me attention and there was a lot of stuff that was going around at the time that did pique me interested a little bit more than, than this you know I was kind of getting into stuff like Jesus Lizard at the time you know if, you, if you're listening to sort of Liar uh, 
and, and comparing it to, to this, that I'd, I'd much rather listen to, to Liar, I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, bland. Fair enough. It goes into that Manchester dancey stuff, hardcore, the beginning, so about it. But there, there is this weird mix. They never fully go for it. About half the tracks do that. So War Against Intelligence and Shift Work and a few others really go in for that synthy, that synthy kind of stuff. And, and Dave Bush is on some of the tracks, but he hasn't really turned up yet. Because then the other half, like Idiot Joy Shull on Edinburgh Man, even Pittsfield Direct, things like that, talk a lot, a lot of wind. They're all still the guitar-y stuff that might have appeared on the last album. It's not quite as heavy as that, but it's all kind of uh, similar. It's Before I re-listened to this, I, I, in my head, I had it much more just a straight-up like left turn, but it's torn between the two things, I think. It fired Brammer and Schofield, and so there's just four of them. The album then went to number 17 in the charts. So it was a top 20 album. Uh, it's Friends Experiment, which was about three years earlier at that point, had, had been had gone to 19. The, the extra you know, distribution, radio play that you'll get through being on a major, it, it does help you, you like with your sales. Uh, but if you're listening to like Peel Session 14, uh, again, in comparing it with the, the songs that are on Shift, where you're like Idiot Joy, the, the, the version of the, the Peel Sessions, I think it's a bit faster. Drum sound miles better, more natural, a lot groovy, a lot of wind, got a nice stompy sound. So on the, on the Peel session some nice scratchy guitar and at the end it's like that nasty kind of uh, relentless jamming groove um, seems to have been like kind of produced out of it it's um it, there's a different sound even though it's the same producer and i know he had a lot of problems with domino when they started trying to stick their nose in quite a few years later so i don't really know if fontana had that much i think in the end they left after the next album because they started asking for demos and stuff and they wouldn't give them so they they ditched the contract and they had to pay him off and they got a stack of cash that they then used for infotainment scam the one after but they stuck around for at least another year or two on their on their label it's a domino like when we recorded with them they were very good um, recording LP with Frank Stubbs up in Sunderland he was in uh, Leatherface and we didn't like it and uh, they were going to put it out and we was like no no we, we don't want you to so they, they, they give us a budget again and just said alright okay go in with John Rob who uh, did a cracking job uh, and we were much happier with, with the, the final product with that uh, so fair play to uh, Lawrence nice, nice lad nice that's Maisie Fade right Fade nice Phil what do you reckon to shift work there's <coughs> a general aesthetic and where they go with this album I think I'm probably going to be a bit more forgiving than Al is um, just given my particular predilections of the type of stuff that I'm into um, but I, I think the nicest thing I can say about it is that it's a bit of a guilty pleasure listen probably not one that I would recommend to other people although there's definitely songs on it that I would recommend to other people um, Edinburgh Man is, you know, stands up as, as good as anything else of that kind of ilk on any of the other albums. And Idiot Joy Shoreland we reviewed a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, on the show? So it's there's really, really good stuff on here. But I think where it does it does suffer a little bit is were they playing a little bit fast and loose with how they record stuff like the idea of getting a fiddle player singing on vocalise and stuff like that. It's the it just doesn't work in the way that perhaps they've got away with in the past with a bit more energy and a bit more innocence or naivety about what what it is that they're doing. 
and you can kind of be a bit more forgiving <clears throat> and maybe some of that energy kind of just carries it through. Whereas this, it falls a little bit flat because of that increasingly middle range production that's that's being layered on stuff. Where it works, it does genuinely work. And there's, there's there are really great tunes on this album. Like the, the title track, Shift Work, I think is an absolute gem of a song. And it works primarily because of that. I think I said it when we were reviewing it, but um, that Deacon Blue kind of Scottish pop kind of sounds to it. So it's it's not without its charms to use one of your favourite lines. But at the same time, when it's there's, there's kind of a few too many missteps on it, and if you would have given them the benefit of the doubt previously, it's, it exposes a little bit of integrity, maybe. Hiram was talking last week, I don't think he was talking about this record, but he was talking about uh, they tried things, but everything they tried was a misstep. And I think that's that's true on this. The songs aren't quite as strong, other than the few standouts like Idiot Joy and Shift Work and things like that. For for me, there isn't as many. Edinburgh Man's nice too. For me, it's a visual thing as well. So I look at the album because the dude Pascal Legras, who started doing the album covers, he did the next four or five. They've all got this similar kind of vibe. If you look back at Extricate, it's the dude who also did uh, Imperial Wax Solvent and. Yeah, of course, I can't read too much into the cover, you know, showing you what's inside. But I think it does in a lot of fall albums. And if I look at the difference between these two, it it, kind of sets out for me exactly what's wrong. One of them is this tight, abstract, beautiful mess. And the other one is this thrift store patchwork. Got a bit of a shit, the musty smell that you can't get rid of no matter how many times you wash it. It smells like a lavender smell that you can't get out of it. Exactly. Here's what Ezra said. My grandfather always told me that if I found myself in the teeth of a midlife crisis, I should move to Scotland and do all the ease I could. Imagine being lucky enough to be experiencing a midlife crisis just as the whole country was falling into the more of MDMA. Luckily, we don't have to because we have shift work. In some ways, a better album. It got more goose juice, swivel-eyed loon league of the mental short-ass NRG. The little singer shows us his house and his drug-addled cock, and I like it by jism i like it the glance deflates and weeps spunky tears confronted by the monstrous world of work as it very well should even in the balloon of malfelt arms solidarity for the workers is all that counts in this veil of violins and adman's dreams glassy-eyed gaseous with a volcanic coagula he's only saying what we're all thinking exactly what does tim think of this one so tim's pose this one's a bit better but not by much give me some what about it the mix and sinister waltz and i wouldn't miss the rest really i mean i, I really like rose i didn't know that one too i sweet I, i've got a confession to make right i normally don't read what Tim puts until you actually ask me to read it. Otherwise, I don't want it. I don't want his comments to come out of what I say. Yeah. But last night I had to look to see what he'd actually written, and uh, actually had an argument with him about what he put about extricate. I was like, I just do not understand where you're coming from with this at all. You need to set it out for me in words of one syllable so I can get into your fucking head. Exactly. He, he, he didn't justify anything. I was I didn't. He went back to listen to the entire ring opera cycle. I'll be back in 14 hours. That's why you don't like extra, Kate. How about this one, Al? Okay. Here's a here's a review from Mike Wright in May 1998. And we thought this was going to be a short episode. <laughs> 
<laughs> getting over Brick's album, Shift Work, is the work the excuse, Mark? Is that why she left you? Mark is blaming the work for his problems. Part truth, part lies. Good introductory material for those who are too timid for songs like Papal Visit, an impression of Jay Temperance. The, the, the timid should fuck off, like, you know, screw him. I'd rather have Jay Temperance and uh, Purple Visit, yeah. The shift work uh, thing about blaming work or his own personal problems, that could be true. That could be very true indeed. Good work, Mike Wright. You're quite wrong. Here, here is a, here's something if you've actually got shift work disorder. Prioritise sleep over relaxation. Maintain a positive state of mind and make plans. That's what the internet says. If you if you, if you are two ten six two is giving you gripe, gripe, that's what the internet says, listener. How about this, Phil? Shift work kind of sucks. What the fuck did you think would happen when a band that had survived for so long, precisely because they dispensed with melodies, tried to write melodies? It doesn't help that Marky Smith can't sing, and it doesn't help. That the Polish production pushes Craig Scanlon's guitar lines to the front so we can really hear those melodies. It doesn't help that the rhythm section is one of the greatest post-punk bands and are playing laughable rhythms. Simon Wollstonecroft sounds like a machine <laughs> and Stephen Hanley's bass sounds flatulent. <laughs> Don't know who wrote that. He woke up in a bad mood, though, didn't he? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's a bit harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've not made my obligatory Serge Gainsbourg reference, so I, I, I think I should insert it now. But it's if you're not into that lighter cabaret side of the, the thing that the fall does, which I, I get that some people just don't like that kind of stuff, then yeah, it's not the album for you, and it's not the era for you, probably. Fair enough. Shall we have a listen to Granada Reports thing from when Mark was in Edinburgh? Edinburgh Festival. It's got lots of hills in it, which I don't think would be your scene. No, it's good. Uh, I like walking, though. Know. It's good for the back. Someone told me it was built on seven hills, which is a bit like Rome. Mm. There's a bare comparison. I don't know. It's like the poor man's San Francisco, really. Isn't it? I, like, I like Edinburgh a lot, but there's, um, there's one thing I don't like about it, and this is this uh, statue. Why not, man? Well, it's... Um, Earl Haig, you know, from, he's a, he was the commander of the First World War. Why they put a statue up to him, I don't know. It's favourite place. What I liked about it was I came here and I was accepted straight away. And, uh, good, I think it's a bit more than the real Edinburgh, you know. As regards uh, architecture, I think what they've done is just uh, left it alone, you know. They didn't sort of go mad in the 60s and knock everything down. They didn't go mad in the 60s and knock everything. Marky Smith, he's moved. It's a new season. It's a spin -off. I love the fact that he says that about architecture and then there's a freeze frame of like a 60s concrete building. Exactly. Every, everything is just things that were prefab stuff from the 70s. I noticed, I noticed. So anyway, that he's off, he's gone to Edinburgh and now he's come back to Manchester and we're on. Code Selfish, the last album we're going to hit this evening in 1992, LP14, still on Fontana, alternative rock slash post-punk slash alternative dance, if you can believe such a thing. Let me hear a few tracks off that. Just the best ones. Just all of them, all the best ones. <laughs>
the best one. I liked it. Started thinking on my feet instead of on my back. Now I got time, time on all fat legs. Side, but I'm doing the uh, Captain B covers, is it? You know. <laughs> so we are in Mikey Smith, Craig Scanlon, Steve Hanley, Simon Wollstonecroft, and Dave Bush is now joined on keyboards and machines. Code selfish. It got into the UK chart at number 21, but only spent one week on the chart. Characterized by its harsher sound in relation to the previous year's shift work and influenced by techno music, because techno fan Dave Bush have been added on keyboards and computers. Only one top 40 single. Free Reign's the only top 40 single by the fall to be written by them and they were dropped from Fontana Phonogram after this album. And as I said, they gave them a stack of cash to do one. Felt called selfish. Come on, tell us what we need to know. So there's there's bits to like here. I think for a fall fan, there's, there's bits to like on the album. But unfortunately, it just feels like the steam's running a bit low in the engine. To me, there's a bit of a correlation to that steam running low and were they uh, looking for their influences and what sort of bleeds into the music. I won't repeat everything that I said about Birmingham School of Business School last time, but when, you know, when bands like U2 were kind of influencing you so you've got to be kind of, you've got to be thinking to yourself, is this really the direction we want to be going in? I think calling it a technical influence album is a bit of a stretch. In as someone who loves techno music, I'm, I'm really struggling with that comparison. Yeah, it's There's not Jeff Mills. It's not going out on Tressa. <laughs> 
there's bits of electronica going on with it, isn't there? And there are songs on it that I like. It, it just feels like the band needed an injection of something that just wasn't coming. They weren't getting it from the Manchester scene at the time. There was obviously nothing going on within the band that was generating the, were any, anything particularly inspirational or innovative or what it is they could do. The production is squeezing it down to chat in the, uh, the bunker earlier this week. Tim 3 described it as paste and I just think that's a really good metaphor for just this even level of things just spread out too thin on a piece of bread. So it's 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 not hard work to listen to. It's just a bit forgettable when you're listening to it. That's unforgivable really for a far long. I like the percussion on there and I think that might be the combination between the keyboards, Bush's keyboard stuff and, and Cy Wilson Croft's drums and I think it works well on a lot of tracks but yeah, the, the Simon Rogers came back. He'd been away for a few years since I think Friends was his last one and then he came back so I wonder how much of it was a tussle between Craig stuff and Simon Rogers. It just doesn't cut through but um, let's see if Ezra because he might have a different opinion on this as he often does. Code selfish. The rave crust here is dazzling this may be the winter of my mind, but it's simultaneously the disco of my ever-loving pants. Sweat welded to my bum-bum as I gyrate the orgiastic bombast of Funky Psy. Nice how Funky Psy brought those finicky beats. Dance floor CNN is good news. What is music for? If your answer wasn't it's to party to, you're probably a wizened elf and should take heed of the warning implicit in all of the codes that elves don't work and your creak is stinky. Maybe it's the rain dog that whistles and hypnotizes and immunizes me against the track's failings. That's my last gasping grasp at lucidity as I craft a telling grammaton from my plastic Evian bottle because mostly these songs do it for me. Of course you should skip track eight. I expected to dislike these albums much more than I did. Whilst they are patchy compared to some, they are nowhere near as terrible as some may have them. There we go. Contrarian as always, he loves those mechanical rhythms I think he gives those a lot more of a pass late period can stuff a lot more of a pass than we do Alistair what do you make of this I prefer it to shit work uh, but there's a bit of a whiff of Hitman and her to some of the uh, electronic stuff that's going on a couple of good songs on there and yeah I've gone comparing to Peel Session 15 and again it's, it's the production like you say and it's just everything is kind of like gated and filtered and you know put through a blend until it, it, it doesn't sound like it, it's got any kind of energy in it but yeah with the, the session uh, you had free range Kimball Immortality and, and Return on, on that and the version of Kimball on, on the Peel Session 15 even though it's a cover it's bloody fantastic and it's quite interesting the uh, floppy boot uh, guitar riff in Immortality which is like a very obvious nick in uh, Return that's, that's a good, good little tune yeah they, they kind of like sound a bit lost a bit, a bit. Well, it's the major label stuff again I think they, they, they did, uh, did well to sort like pocket the money and uh, and piss off after that. It's just very much this era of fall for me is is take it or leave it. There's some good moments, but there's stuff there that I really have not got a great deal of time for. You ever hear about Royal Trucks when they signed to Virgin and they basically took all their money, built a studio, spent the rest on smack, and then didn't do anything for two years until they dropped them. <laughs> Virgin signed them, paid for a nice shiny new studio, and got nothing out of them. Brilliant. That's the way. Great. <laughs> Great band. 
I really like the cover to this album. I was, I was ragging on Pascal Legrasse's last cover on, on uh, Shift Work, but I, I really think this is a cool, groovy kind of cover. I don't know if it's what I want from the fall, but I like it. What's Tim think? I like Free Range. Bah. All right, so he's not got a lot of time for this one. Deal with this one, Phil. There I am, buttocks clenched, fully expecting the world to come crashing down around my ears. And all I get are church bells and Dave Bush programming his keyboards to sound like a fight with kitchen utensils. The signature sound remains lurking under the surface, but it's lacking the brutal onslaught. Under normal circumstances, the relentless claustrophobic rhythms would slowly lull the listener into a kind of catatonic trance. Here, however, the frenzied is pushed farther into the background and overlaid with prickly keyboards and snarky vocals which change the whole band dynamic. The result isn't horrible. Potential disaster is averted by the high quality of the material. Uh, I was kind of with it up until I really. Uh, although I, I think, in fairness, when we have covered songs off this album, I think you and Ezra have been quite positive about the lyrics. So, you know, as ever, I think Smithy's probably bringing his air again, although you know it's not without his missteps, is it? But it's the music really that it is is the problem on this album. And if I, I think it's 50-50, I don't think it's just the production that lets it down. I think I don't think the band are bringing the, a, a particularly strong contribution. So I, I don't think I would be as charitable as that reviewer, to be honest with you. Yeah, fair enough. I think Birmingham School and Time Enough at Last, I do think they're they are nice. Uh, what about this one? Code Selfish balances the bracing techno-influenced guitar rock and dollops of smooth and tuneful fall muzak uh, from the last two albums. A great deal of this material comes across as fall by numbers, but it's a nice return to form after the sleepy mumblings of shift work. Maybe I'm just getting burnt out by this band, as listening to this album seems like a chore, or maybe they were genuinely releasing subpar material during the 90s. Is that for me? <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, I didn't know after the after the review, but subpar uh, material. Yeah, I, I, I heard that a bit, and I, I kind of agree with that. Whether or not they, they were sort of holding back a little bit in uh, just playing the, the second team, I don't, I don't know. But it's it's not the, the, the greatest, but it's, it's still better than shift work for me. Before we before we wrap it up, I'm going to read this last one. A record that is quite possibly as good as anything they've ever done. What they've done another slate so grotesque, not quite. Those days are gone for good. But this is a record that is rich and varied and will keep you coming back for more. Relentless driving rhythms and cryptic lyrics smeared over the top with Wollstonecraft's clinical technique. The Fall sound like the greatest band on earth for a good portion of this material. It's a world removed from early classics, but it's just as magnificent, if not more so. The Fall sound positively inspired throughout. There's no accounting for taste, is there? In fairness, I've listened to this album more times than I thought I would. <laughs> Fair enough. And that more or less wraps it up for us. Um, we listen to a whole bunch of songs. I wrap it up with a little bit of an interview and see what uh, see what he says. Not, not because of um, any class consciousness. It's just to get you know. I think if you go to a pub, it should be like you get peace and quiet. You know, not like Sky TV blaring out or music videos and all that stuff and students and that. You know. It's quite, it's like going to church, really. It's like going to an Italian church. You get a lot of this uh, recession sort of paranoia uh, in other parts of the country. And it's like I said to a cab driver in London, you know, we've had a recession since 1865. Yeah. 
Mark Smith came back to solve. I'm quite sympathetic to that. I like a quiet drinker. I like a pub where you can go in. It was another interesting little snapshot that of being sat at the bar with a cigarette and a pint of miles and nobody talking to anybody and just being alone with your thoughts in a, in a very smelly space that was very kind of exclusive and, you know, not everybody was welcome within it. Uh, it reminds me of that pub you used to um, work behind the bar at. Um, back in the day, there was no uh, jukebox, no pool table. It was just booze. In, in a climate, kind of nice setting, and they've, uh, they've refurbed it, and it looks quite nice now. Fair enough. If you're ever in Wigan. Next up, when we get back to it in about eight or nine weeks' time, we'll have the infotainment scan, middle class revolt, cerebral caustic, and light user syndrome. There is light at the end of that tunnel, but that is a dark path we're going to have to tread before we get there. This is the most maligned period, very much maligned and misunderstood. Yeah. But we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, thanks. It wasn't the short one we thought it was going to be. But next week, we've got a weird, wacky special. So we'll see how that goes. Bye. 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 <laughs>